0: Let's turn for our reading from God's Word to the Old Testament. The book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at uh, chapters five and most of chapter six uh, this evening. It's a fairly long portion, so we'll be taking uh, selections from the two chapters. But Exodus five, and uh, we're beginning at verse one. It follows on to the end of chapter four. Uh, Moses and Aaron come to the Israelites, they tell them of the commission. God has given them to deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt. And then one uh, takes up the account. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or may he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, The people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. And the next portion gives the account of how Pharaoh makes the burden on the Israelites heavier. They're no longer to be given straw to make the bricks for building. They have to go and find it uh, themselves without any reduction uh, in the quotas that they have to produce. Then picking up again at verse 19 in chapter 5. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. They said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will make you as my I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? The Lord never said that obedience would be easy. We may sometimes think that if we're on the path of obedience for following God's will, then the way will be smooth. Progress will be straightforward. If we're in the Lord's will, then it will be easy. And of course, sometimes Christians make that a test of guidance, whether or not uh, they're following uh, the Lord's guidance. Are there obstacles? Are there difficulties? That would suggest to them perhaps, well, maybe I'm not following God's way. If I were, it would be smooth and clear ahead of me. But yet, that's an unwise way to evaluate God's guidance and God's pathway. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear to us that the path of obedience can be hard. And that's evident in the experience of Moses and Aaron that we were reading about earlier, in Exodus 5 and 6. Now we turn to chapters 5 and 6. We're looking really at that whole uh, swathe from chapter 5, verse 1, right through to chapter 6, verse 12. And Recall this: walking the hard road, walking the hard road. As we look at these chapters, we see, first of all, the perplexed messengers. The perplexed messengers. In the light of the response of the Israelite elders, Moses and Aaron, no doubt, were approaching the task of going to Pharaoh, announcing the word of God, encouraged. It seemed to be going well. The Israelites had listened, and they must have been hopeful that Pharaoh also would listen. But of course, God had warned them. Back in chapter 4, verse 21, he will not let the people go. It's not as if they hadn't been told what Pharaoh's response was going to be. But of course, in the optimism of the moment, perhaps it was easy to forget the downside and the warning that God had given them. And the reason, of course, as God uh, set out for them why Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, ultimately, I will harden his heart, harden Pharaoh's heart. And that's exactly what happens, and we will see that uh, in the next few chapters. And we will need to look uh, in due course at the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and how we're to understand that. How responsible is Pharaoh? What is God's role? That for another time. They bring the message uh, that the Lord has given them. This is what the Lord says. But immediately they run into a brick wall. Hostility to the messengers, more than that, of course, hostility to their God. That is what really uh, rankles with Pharaoh. Hostility and a blank refusal. I will not let Israel go. And that seems to come as a shock to Moses and Aaron. And it does seem that after that first refusal, their tone changes subtly. Not now announcing, this is what the Lord says, this is what you must do, but rather, speaking about themselves and what the Lord appeared to us and the Lord wants us to do this and if you don't let us do it, God may judge us. It's a different tone that they adopt. Almost as if they move from announcing the authoritative word of God to pleading with Pharaoh to let us go. It seems they have been knocked back by Pharaoh's refusal and now they sound different in the way that they're approaching Pharaoh. And the authoritative voice of the Lord isn't heard as clearly as it was to begin with. And of course, Pharaoh's hostility initially makes things worse for the Israelites, doesn't it? Harsher conditions, uh, the making bricks without straw, that's it's become uh, proverbial. Of course, it's, there's still straw in the bricks, but the Israelites had to go and find it Uh, and had to prepare it. Extra work and no reduction in the quotas that they had to produce. Then Moses and Aaron go out among the Israelites and eventually they have to face the hostility of the Israelite foremen. You see, there are the Egyptian taskmasters at the top, then the Israelite foremen and the Israelite slaves below them. And the foremen, of course, are being squeezed From both sides, the Israelite slaves obviously objecting to the harshness of the conditions and the Egyptian slave drivers commanding that they still have to produce as they did before. It's not surprising we hear the four men speaking the way they do. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh. That's how they feel. We're an abomination in Pharaoh's nose. And it's all your fault, Moses and Aaron. It was bad before, but it's worse now that you have come. And then Moses goes, and he complains to the Lord. The foreman complained to Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron go, and Moses returns to the Lord, 5.22. And you hear his perplexity as he speaks to the Lord. Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people. Is this why you sent me? Well, he knows it isn't why the Lord sent them, of course. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people. And then we get to the nub of the issue, really. Whose fault is all of this? Well, you have not rescued your people at all. And so in the end, Moses Not terribly subtly as pointing the finger at God. You haven't done what you said you would do. He's perplexed. This is not how he expected or how he hoped it would be. And we're not called to lead a nation out of slavery. And yet in significant ways, surely we can identify with Moses here in his perplexity. Aren't there those times, haven't we experienced them in our own work, and our own ministry? When we've a zeal to see the conversion uh, of sinners, uh, we we reach out with the gospel, we witness, uh, we seek to to point people to Christ, uh, and we're enthused, and we're seeking those uh, who hear the gospel to respond, and we're longing for that, and we're praying for that, and what then do we meet? Perhaps it is the brick wall of indifference. Indeed, increasingly, I think we are finding uh, it's hostility to the gospel. It's not just that people don't care about it, but they actively don't want it. And perhaps we find that hard to bear. For good reasons, our zeal for God, our desire to see men and women saved, and when there isn't a response Then we can find that very difficult. Maybe, like Moses and Aaron, we're perplexed. Why is it like that? We hoped, we expected people would be saved, and yet so much resistance. Maybe we become discouraged. Maybe there's a note of complaining. We might not come out straight to the Lord and say it in that way, but perhaps. In our thoughts and our mind, there is that sense Lord, why are you not doing something about all these unconverted people? Why aren't we seeing lots of conversions? And perhaps, like Moses, we're slipping into pointing the finger at God. Perplexed messengers, maybe sometimes we find ourselves among the perplexed messengers. But then secondly we see here the arrogant ruler. The arrogant ruler. We put the spotlight as scripture does now on Pharaoh. This is our first view of Pharaoh and it's not encouraging is it? Depending on the dating of the exodus and that's a big subject and that lets people write books with their theories. When did the exodus take place? But It is certainly possible that the Pharaoh of the Exodus was a relatively young man. Certainly he is arrogant. Uh, He is cruel. You see, straight off, he rejects the petition of Moses uh, and Aaron. Uh, And indeed, in revenge, he takes it out on the Israelites, of course, and makes their suffering even greater. I will not give you any more straw, he says in 5.10, but your work will not be reduced. Sounds a little bit like Rehoboam later on, the young king uh, who had no wit uh, in how to deal with people uh, and how to get them to work well for him. But, of course, these are slaves and they're foreigners. Why would Pharaoh care about them anyway? Unreasonable demands And he rejects the pleas of the foremen for some mitigation. Lazy, that's what you are, he says. A touch of I know your type. You're just trying to get out of doing the work. And you won't. Because I'm in charge here. And the key question in all of this is asked by Pharaoh. Chapter 5 and verse 2. Who is the Lord That I should obey him. That's really the crunch question here. Who is the Lord? Here's Pharaoh sitting on the throne of Egypt, the great empire of the day. In the view of the Egyptians, a son of the gods, Uh, he will be a god when he dies and all the, the funeral ceremonial is carried out, and he'll be a god. And Pharaoh's saying essentially, I'm a god, why do I listen to your wee god? Why should I pay any attention to the God of the Hebrews? Who's he? Never heard of him. Certainly not going to do what you say he's telling me to do. Why should I obey him? He's not going to submit to some other deity who's demanding his obedience. You notice uh, in verse 10, he describes the word of the Lord as lies. He's on very dangerous Around. God's word, he says, is lies. Ah, Pharaoh's going to pay for that. He's going to find out that it's the truth, it's not the lies, and he's going to find out the hard way. Do you notice right from the very outset, Pharaoh is set on the path of opposition to the Lord and the Lord's will. It's not even that he's opposing Moses, but he's consciously opposing the God who sent Moses who is the Lord and that is the root issue yes God says he will harden Pharaoh's heart he'd said that back in chapter 4 verse 21 but notice that Pharaoh's heart already is a heart of rebellion already he is hard God will be hardening a man who's already set in opposition to him, to his word, and to his will. The Lord will be hardening a heart that's already in rebellion. And so the stage is set here in Egypt for confrontation. And that's what's going to be worked out in the next few chapters. The confrontation Who reigns in Egypt? Is it Pharaoh? Is it the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Ultimately, the question is who is God? Is it Pharaoh on his little throne in Egypt? Or is it the God of the universe, the God of the covenant, the God who will deliver his people? Who is God? And the events of the next few chapters are going to make clear precisely who is God. The confrontation will be played out through the ten plagues uh, that the Lord's going to send on Egypt. Plagues that Pharaoh cannot stop. Plagues that will challenge all the gods of Egypt who cannot stop the plagues. The Lord is God and he is going to prove it. In ways that the Egyptians will not be able to deny. And it isn't the truth that Pharaoh in a sinful heart is just like every sinner. It is not that Pharaoh is somehow uniquely evil. Because the heart of every sinner is set in rebellion against its creator. We serve self. We reject God and God's word and in our fallenness we won't listen to what the Lord has to say. We're determined to go our own way. And so really Pharaoh is no different from any sinner, including the Israelites, because as they go out of Egypt and through the wilderness and so on, there will be plenty of evidence of the sinfulness of many of those among the Israelites. Left to ourselves in our fallenness. We are no different from Pharaoh. We are rebels against God and God's word. Paul writes of all sinners in Ephesians Ephesians 2.2. You followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's what Pharaoh's doing. But that's what every sinner does. That's what we do before we're saved. We're lost and we're hardened and we're set against the Lord. We want to be our own God. That was the promise, wasn't it, in Eden? You will be like God. And that's what we think we are. Until the Lord saves us. And that's what Pharaoh thinks he is. And the Lord will show him different. But the battle in Egypt that's recorded in these chapters is primarily spiritual. It's not simply the, the political deliverance of Israel and sociological changes in the ancient Near East. This is a spiritual battle. As the Lord moves to deliver his chosen covenant people from bondage. And he will, despite all the forces that are ranged against him. And he'll sweep them aside. And he'll deliver his people. In the end, there's no contest. The arrogant ruler. What a fool. The word of God lies. Who's the Lord that I should obey him? He learned different. But then thirdly, we see in these chapters the burdened people. Look at Moses and Aaron. We thought of Pharaoh. What about Israel? The burdened people. Because the road for the Israelites is very hard. And they're burdened in different ways. Well, very obviously, uh, they're burdened physically. They're slaves. That's the most obvious aspect of their burden. Uh, The people and their foremen feel the heavy hand of Pharaoh upon them. Their situation goes from bad to worse. Not just they're making bricks. And they're making bricks with no straw supplied. uh, And all the demands are crushing them and weighing down upon them. And it's summed up uh, there in chapter 6 verse 9 as cruel bondage. Indeed it is. These are oppressed people. They are being ground down by Pharaoh's unreasonable demands. They're physically burdened. But that's not their biggest problem. They're also spiritually burdened. Of course, our spiritual health is often connected, isn't it, with our outward circumstances? In testing times, difficulty, disappointment, suffering, that impacts our spiritual life. It can pull us down, it can draw us away from fellowship with the Lord. And we can see the circumstances of the Israelites are having that effect. Upon them. They can't bring themselves to believe God's promises. You see that uh, there in chapter 6 and verses 6 to 8. Those are the the promises God gives. And the people can't bring themselves to believe all these wonderful things that God says He's going to do for them. And the reason in verse 9 they did not listen to Him, to Moses, because of their. Discouragement. That's a vivid expression that's used there, translated discouragement. It's because literally of their shortness of spirit. If you the ESV it says their broken spirit, shortness of spirit. Discouragement, certainly. Despondency, undoubtedly. perhaps an element of impatience, the idea of the shortness of spirit. Impatience. Why has God not delivered as he said he was going to do? Moses comes and he says, the Lord has told me to tell you I'm going to take you out of bondage. And they look around and they see things are getting worse. It appears God is not doing anything. And they're getting impatient. Why has God not delivered us already? If he's such a great God, why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he act? He said he would. There's impatience as well as despondency in their burden. And again, perhaps we can identify quite readily with that burdened experience of the Israelites. Perhaps sometimes we struggle, as the psalmists often did, With the Lord's apparent slowness to answer prayer, to keep His promises, to deliver us. How often in the Psalms we hear the psalmist saying, How long, O Lord? How long? Why is it taking so long for you to deliver me? Why so long to keep your promises? And that often is a burden to the Lord's people. You find it in the Psalms. You hear it in the Israelites here. And perhaps you hear it in your own heart sometimes. Why is the Lord not doing something about my circumstances, my struggles, my burdens? I read the promises. My God will supply all your need. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And the promises are there and yet... God doesn't seem to be doing anything about them. And we struggle and the burdens are heavy and we think, Lord, how long? When are you going to keep your promise? When are you going to do something? And then we can become downcast, despondent, perhaps impatient, perhaps even rebellious against God. Maybe he doesn't mean it. Maybe he isn't going to keep his promise. We start to doubt the Lord. And we need to be reminded, for example, of 2 Peter 3, nine: the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Well, He keeps it in his own time. He has his own timetable. And a day is a thousand years in God's sight. And a thousand years is a day. But he's not slow. not in the long view, not in the big picture. He is not slow. But there are the burdened people. Maybe you're among the burdened people sometimes. I wonder, why is the Lord not doing something? Why is He not acting more quickly? I've prayed and I've prayed, and nothing's happened. Why? When? And we can feel the weight of that burden upon us. But we don't stop there. We mustn't stop there. Because we need to see finally the faithful God. The faithful God. The Lord who has made his promises will keep his promises. And the Lord in the opening verses of chapter 6 reiterates the heart of his covenant purpose for his people. And the wonderful promises are repeated. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. There's the great covenant promise. I will be your God. You will be my people. And there's no question or doubt about the outcome. Not for one moment does God say, I hope to do this. I'm planning to do this. I'm fairly sure it'll work out. It is in the language of absolute certainty. This is what God will do. And there is no doubt about it. And there need be no doubt in the minds of his people that this is what he is going to do. This is the Lord who will overrule all the resistance of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Indeed, it's not only that Pharaoh will finally let them go, but Pharaoh, God says, will drive them out. He'll push them out of Egypt, not just let them go. And the reason? My mighty hand. Overwhelming victory on the Lord's part. With his mighty hand, he will make Pharaoh drive Israel out. The Pharaoh who says, I won't let them go. And the time will come when he wants rid of them. And he can't get them out fast enough. Now, once they're gone, he changes his mind, but that's a different issue. The mighty hand of the Lord. And the Lord recalls that wonderful, precious covenant. I've remembered my covenant, the covenant with Abraham and Isaac, their descendants. And he'll liberate them from bondage. He'll bring them into the land that he has promised, verse 8. Fulfilling every detail of the promise that was made to Abraham. He will keep his word. The God who promises will keep his All his promises. And we have the same assurance. Not one of God's promises will fail. Not one of God's promises can fail. Or he isn't the God he says he is. He'll keep them in his time, in his way. But he'll keep them. And in all his works, the great goal of whatever the Lord does. Verse 7, you will know that I am the Lord your God. And all things are worked out by a sovereign God so that we will know he is the Lord our God. And we'll worship him and we'll love him and we'll serve him and we'll give him all the glory. And every answered prayer And every fulfilled promise strengthens our faith in this God, in the Lord who keeps his promises and who delivers his people and brings us into the place of blessing, into the land that's a little glimpse of the new creation still to come by the grace of this God. He's faithful to us. Despite our failings, he will never fail us. And we will know that he is the Lord our God. And we'll rejoice in that. And every time he answers prayer, we know he's the Lord our God. Every every time he fulfills a promise, we know that he's the Lord our God. And we give him all the praise and all the glory. Pharaoh is going to learn it the hard way. And Israel has a lot to learn about the Lord. God will work out his purpose. He didn't say it would be easy. It is a call to be walking the hard road, but it is the only road to blessing and the purpose of a great covenant God, a God of salvation and a God of mercy. May he grant us the power of his Spirit the enabling of the Spirit to walk the hard road where he decrees we walk to the place of blessing to his glory.